On today's episode of Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast, we'll be talking plenty about the Patriots' upcoming matchup this Sunday against the Los Angeles Chargers. I will also take a look at some injuries that are piling up for the Patriots, um, especially in the secondary and what they can do to be successful on Sunday in Los Angeles. We'll also take a look at the offense for the Patriots seemingly finding their groove over the last few games. We will also recap Thursday night football from last night. The Packers with a uh, win that went down to the wire against the previously undefeated Arizona Cardinals. We'll get all that stuff from that game. We'll also take a look at uh, the Week 8 preview around the NFL. Take a look at some other matchups um, as we are about the halfway point through the season. Um, We will also take a look at some news and notes from around the NFL. Um, And then we will get to the NHL, talk a bit about the Bruins, talk about their start to the season. It's been a little bit uneven, some injuries, um, some inconsistent offensive play. So we'll talk about plenty of that. Take a look at the Bruins' upcoming schedule. Uh, We will also get into the fallout of the Blackhawks investigation, um, talk a little bit about that. And we'll also take a look at some news and notes from around the NHL, including the Seattle Kraken winning back-to-back games for the first time this season. So I'll take a look at their start as well. Uh, when, then we will get to the NBA, talk about the Celtics. Been having some uh, some, some issues, especially defensively. Uh, so we'll take a look at that, take a look at some slow starts that have doomed them in a couple losses. Uh, we'll also get into talking about some of the Celtics' young guys and why they really need uh, more minutes than they're getting in the early part of the season. Uh, we will also take a look at the upcoming schedule for the Celtics um, as they start a road trip. They start their road trip with a game tomorrow night in Washington. So we'll take a look at the rest of the trip. Uh, we'll also take a look at some news and notes from around the NBA. Then we will get into some baseball, talk a little bit about the World Series, Astros and Braves. Game three is tonight, so we'll talk about that. Series shifts to Atlanta after the team split the first two games in Houston. We'll also take a look at some Red Sox stuff. Red Sox have a couple of free agents that uh, will be interesting to see where they go. So we'll take a look at a few of those players. Uh, We'll also take a look at some news and notes from around Major League Baseball. And then to close it out, we'll talk a bit about the Revolution, who have set the MLS single-season points record. So we'll talk about the Revolution as they gear up for the playoffs. They have one regular season game left. So we'll talk a bit about them, and then we will get to and talking about some college football week nine as there are some big games coming up tomorrow and this weekend. All right, let's go. going on everyone welcome to the program it is not your average boston sports podcast i am your host garrett hayden you can follow us on twitter and on facebook both of our pages uh, update them 
before we do an episode, you can also uh, listen to us as well on uh, Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. So uh, a lot to get to today, including Patriots, uh, Bruins, Celtics, uh, a little bit of Red Sox. Obviously, the offseason has begun, um, but plenty of stuff to get to. There's also plenty of revolution to get to as well, so uh, not missing them either. So um, got all the intro stuff. Um, I always like almost forget to say that, but it's like, you know, it's like a reflex at this point. I say it so much that I almost forget that I say it. But yeah, you know, all the stuff I said before, follow us, uh, listen to the podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, you can give us a uh, rating and a review on uh, Apple Music. That would be, I uh, would really appreciate that. Um, you can also uh, read some of my written content at Garrett Hayden Sports Media. I just wrote an article yesterday about the Robert Williams. I will talk a little bit about him when we get to the Celtics. Um, but yeah, you can go read that if you'd like. Um, so I think we'll get into it. But first, I do want to say that um, obviously it's been a couple weeks since uh, you guys have heard from me. Um, I had a little bit of a, a health issue a couple weeks ago that uh, came up. And you know I've just finally now gotten back to kind of a normal routine. So um, that's the only reason why I've missed you guys the last two weeks. Um, but we are back and, you know, back in the swing of things with, with all the sports going on. Um, but I think it makes sense for us to just get right into it, get us talking about the Patriots and a huge matchup against the surprising L.A. Chargers, who have had a very good start to their season. Uh, Justin Herbert, obviously, has been playing at an unbelievable level. Um, but believe it or not, Mac Jones actually has more passing yards than him. This is something I did not realize until I looked at some uh, statistics this morning that Mac Jones has more passing yards than Herbert, which is pretty unbelievable, you know, when you look at um, how successful Herbert has been this season uh, for the Chargers, you know, really the biggest reason why they have, you know, grabbed hold of uh, first place or a share of first place. I'd have to look at the standings in a moment. Um but obviously, he's been the biggest reason why they've been this good. You know, obviously, you've had a defense that I think has been pretty good as well. Um, but it's really Herbert, it's Eckler, it's Mike Williams, it's Keenan Allen. Um, a lot of weapons on that offense, which, you know, is a little scary, you know, considering the fact that the Patriots are pretty shorthanded. Um, and you saw what the Dallas Cowboys did to them a couple weeks ago with, you know, ridiculous amounts of offensive talent. But... Justin Herbert is a young quarterback. The Patriots, you know, obviously had their way with him last year coming into Los Angeles and winning 45 to nothing. Obviously, things have changed. You know, both teams are different. Um, you know, I think that Herbert has obviously improved since then, you know, kind of playing at almost an MVP level over the first couple games. I think he's leveled off a little bit in the last couple games, but it doesn't mean that it's going to be at all easy for the Patriots this weekend. Um, obviously, the tough news earlier in the week that Jonathan Jones is out for the season. Um, so the Patriots, you know, already pretty shorthanded in the secondary, you know, get dealt another blow. You know, you got J.C. Jackson, you got Jawan Williams, who actually played pretty well last week um, against the Jets. Um, Miles Bryant had to come in off the practice squad, and actually I didn't think he played half bad, but, you know, you're really testing 
the depth of your secondary right now. Um, and I think that's what concerns me when you're going up against a team like the Chargers that are going to look to attack you, you know, where you're vulnerable. Um, and so I think that this is a game where the Patriots really need Matt Judon and that linebacking core um, to get to the quarterback and create pressure and, you know, make it difficult for Herbert and try to see if you can take one of those weapons out of the game. You know, it's going to be easier said than done um, because you got Williams, you got Allen. You know, Williams is kind of more of your or more of the Chargers deep threat that he's going to go up over the top and make plays 20, 25, 30 yards down the field. You know, Keenan Allen's kind of more of a guy that's going to hurt hurt you in between. You know, not to say that, oh, he doesn't go deep, but he's kind of more of the security blanket, if you will, for Herbert, that he's the guy that gets the ball on third downs. He's the guy that's going to get the ball in key moments. Um, and then you have a guy like Austin Eckler, a guy who's going to play all three downs, um, is really hard to te- really hard to bring down. Um, guy that you can get the ball to on swing passes, screen passes, you know, all those things. So I think the Patriots in their front seven are really going to need to have their best game of the season um, if they're going to have any chance to win. Because I think trying to get into a shootout against the Chargers, I don't think is going to turn out well. You know, it very well might turn out like that game against Dallas. But, you know, if you think about that game, you know, the Patriots were in the game, you know, and it just took in an offensive or you know, the, the the Cowboys getting the ball in overtime and scoring. Um, and so I think you probably don't want to get into a track meet with the Chargers because I just, I don't think that that's going to turn out well. Um, I think the Patriots' hope is that they can turn this into a low-scoring game, kind of like it was against Tampa Bay, which I think is going to be easier said than done because I think the weather had a lot to do with that game kind of being a low-scoring game. So um, the Patriots obviously are going to have their hands full defensively, um, but I think the Patriots are going to have an opportunity to put up a lot of points too. You know, the Chargers, I think, have had a solid defense so far this season. Um, But if you look at the numbers, the Chargers are not very good against the run. They've allowed over 160 yards a game. And the Patriots offense, you know, as well as the running as well as the running backs did um, on Sunday against the Jets. And yes, I know it's against the Jets, but, you know, they played really, really well. And the Patriots, you know, coming into this game on Sunday, averaging just under 100 yards rushing uh, per game on offense. So I think that this is a possibility that the Patriots could get back to the running game and try to, you know, control the clock the best you can. Because I think that honestly gives you the best chance to win. You know, if you can stay on the field as long as you can, you know, and kind of take the game out of Justin Herbert's hands, it gives you the best chance to win, you know, running it with Damian Harris, Ramondre Stevenson, J.J. Taylor, you know, whoever ends up playing in the game. Um, the Patriots are going to have an opportunity, I think, to run the ball a lot. Um, passing the ball is going to be challenging. The Chargers are pretty good against the pass. Um, they have a really good pass rush. They got a pretty solid secondary. So um, this, I think, is going to be a little bit of a challenge for the Patriots passing the ball, you know, which I'm curious to see how Mac Jones and Josh McDaniels attack this defense and what they decide to do. Obviously, Mac Jones is going to be throwing the ball. You know, he's had almost 1,800 yards in the first seven games of the season. So, you know, I think 
obviously they're going to go to the pass. But I think this is a game where you really are going to try to rely on Damian Harris. And I think that he has performed well over the last couple of weeks. Obviously, he's had those those fumble issues, but I think that hopefully he's past that. And hopefully the Patriots can, you know, rely on him a lot in this game um, and try to see if they can have their run game kind of control the clock and control the game. I mean, I know that that's not sexy and that's not what some people want to hear, but the Patriots are a team where, you know, they have to try to shorten games. You know, they have to try to keep teams off the field. They have to establish the run and run the football and, you know, maybe be conservative. It's just like, I, I understand the frustration that people have with playing conservative, but like this, this Patriots team is not the same team that it was a couple years ago where, you know, playing conservative would be unheard of. Um, I just think that you are playing with a young developing quarterback. You are playing with a developing offense, you know, because you've added a lot of new guys on the offensive side. You've added two new tight ends, you're, you know, two new wide receivers, you know, you have an offensive line that's kind of been a revolving door this season with injuries and inconsistency. And so it's just like, I just think it's it's hard to expect that this team is going to be, you know, going up and down the field, chucking it all over the yard and scoring 30 points a game. It's just not feasible. Um, and I think that considering this defense has kind of been a little bit all over the place in some games, you need to try to shorten games. You need to try to establish the run and do things that are going to help you keep the ball for as long as you can. Don't turn the ball over and, you know, be effective in the red zone, be efficient in the red zone, which the Patriots were on last Sunday. You know, now I know it's against the Jets and I know that that's what everyone's going to say. Oh, it's the Jets. They, they suck. And, you know, they're not, they're not a good football team. But I think when you look at what the offense has gone through over the first couple of weeks, that they've had some struggles, they've had some issues and to now see an offense that has performed really really well over the last two weeks you know I think that you met maybe now you're starting to see that the offense is kind of getting into a rhythm um, you know Mac Jones throwing the deep ball last week that was great to see you know that was great to see that the Patriots are you know kind of evolving their offense even further to try to show new things so that they can be even more effective you know letting Mac Jones throw it deep you know I think is something that's going to unlock a lot of potential with him and with the team you know I know that everyone wants to see them do it a lot more in 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 games but I think that you have to be smart about it and you have to go go about these things in a smart way and I think the Patriots have Um, but I think that you know this is this is going to be a, a tremendous tremendous opportunity for the Patriots to you know come out and prove that okay we're gonna have something to say for possibly being a playoff team. Um, I think they could do themselves a lot of favors with a great performance and a win um, in Los Angeles this weekend. But I do expect that it's going to be challenging. You know, I think that there's a reason why the Chargers are are favored, you know, according to ESPN's football power index. uh, The Chargers um, predicted to win by over 60%, which I think is about right. You know, I think that the Chargers have been a better team than the Patriots, but I think the Patriots are starting to get into a groove offensively. So 
you know, this is going to be a game that's going to go down to the wire. I do fully expect that this is going to be very similar to the Dallas game in which, you know, there's going to be a lot of decisions that are going to be heavily scrutinized um, down the stretch, especially offensively. But I think that I have faith that Mac Jones and the Patriots can make enough plays um, and pull the upset. I do think that they will win. Um, the Patriots are 2-0 and away from Gillette Stadium, obviously. One of those wins against the Jets, and then the other one, the Houston game, in which the Patriots had to come back from two scores down to win. Um, I do like them against Los Angeles this week, and I think that it's going to um, really propel them to more success uh, down the road. So, 405 start on CBS on Sunday, Patriots Chargers. Herbert against Mac Jones. It's going to be a really fun offensive game, I would think. Um, and I think has the makings to be a, a classic Patriots game and Patriots win, hopefully. Um, so taking a quick look at Thursday night football last night, Packers and Cardinals going at it. Cardinals obviously coming into the game undefeated um, thanks to the uh, unbelievable play of Kyler Murray so far this season. Um but Green Bay kind of, I think, saw, did a very solid job uh, defensively in this game. I really thought that, you know, they didn't allow Kyler Murray to take over the game. You know, and he did all, did have a good game, 274 yards. You know, is not anything to sneeze at. But I think that the Packers did a very good job defensively um, and were able to win this game thanks to their defense. Arizona obviously a little banged up on defense. Um, DeAndre Hopkins, you know, clearly, clearly not himself. Only two targets, you know, did have two catches for 66 yards. But I think the story of this game to me is Green Bay's defense. And I think that they did an excellent job against Kyler Murray, two interceptions or forcing two interceptions um, and making that big play down the goal line to end the game. I mean, obviously, I think that is more a big miscommunication between offensive players in Murray and A.J. Green, you know, and less about, oh, a great interception. You know, it was a fantastic catch. If you see uh, Russell Douglas make that interception, it was pretty impressive. Um, but clearly a miscommunication between Murray and Green, which very well could have been the game-winning touchdown there. Um, but Arizona dealt their first loss, Green Bay, after dropping that week one game to the Saints have won seven in a row. Uh, Rodgers... Seemed to play pretty well in this one. Obviously, was down his top three uh, pass catchers. Um, old friend Randall Cobb had three receptions in this game, two of them for touchdowns, so he came up big. Um, Aaron Jones, obviously, had a lot of touches in this game, 51 yards catching and then 51 yards receiving, and then 78 yards on the ground. Um, so Green Bay able to make enough plays down the stretch. Kyler Murray, uh, I think may have, this may have been the first game this season where he hasn't thrown a touchdown pass. Uh, three rushing touchdowns for Arizona, two for James Conner, um, and then one for Chase Edmonds. So this was a really exciting game. Went down to the wire. You know, fully expect that um, Arizona, fingers crossed that they can stay healthy, um, could make for a rematch maybe down the road in the NFC playoffs. Um, but big win for Green Bay. Um, Arizona dropping, dropping a game at home, but... I think that it's interesting. I think that most, some years, you know, we talk about the lack of, you know, competitive football 
with the NFL and specifically in primetime games. But um, I have to say this season, I think it's been different. You've had a couple of really solid, entertaining games on Thursday nights um, and Sunday nights and Monday nights. You know, like the primetime games, I think, have been have been solid and it's been some exciting football to watch. So uh, Green Bay gets the win. They improved to 7-1. and one. Arizona drops to 7-1. and one. This was a very, very exciting game, and it definitely lived up lived up to the hype in this one. So taking a look at the uh, Week 9 games, or Week 8 games, excuse me, I jumped ahead a week. Um, got some teams that are kind of in playoff contention. They're, you know, some teams are positioned better than others. You know, I think the Patriots are one of the teams that are kind of you know, in the mix. Um, so taking a look at some Week 8 games, Carolina and Atlanta will play a divisional matchup there in the NFC South. Uh, Carolina obviously has lost four straight games after winning their first three. Obviously, the loss of McCaffrey has been a problem for them, but Sam Darnold has certainly uh, come back down to earth and has really struggled in some games. Uh, Patriots play in Carolina next weekend. So this will be an interesting game in Atlanta, but I think the Falcons um, have been playing some pretty solid offensive football. Had a win in London a couple weeks ago, so I do expect them to win in this game against Carolina. No word yet about whether McCaffrey or when he will come back. Um, at AFC East showdown, you got Miami traveling to Buffalo. Uh, the Dolphins, losers of six straight games. Uh, lost their last one to the Falcons, ironically, in overtime last week, 30-28. to 28. So the Dolphins, 1-6. Uh, Tua Tagovailoa played very well um, on, in Sunday's loss. Um, obviously, there's been a lot of rumors floating around about Deshaun Watson. You know, still nothing, still nothing really founded there. You know, a lot of just stuff floating around. But uh, Dolphins, tough task having to go up to Buffalo um, and play the Bills who had a bye week last week, looking to come off of their loss the week before. Um, so fully expect Buffalo to win and probably win by a wide margin um, in this game. One o'clock game on Fox, San Francisco traveling to Chicago, the 49ers, with a loss last Sunday night against the Colts. Um, so they will face off against the Bears, who came off a humbling loss to the Buccaneers last week. So, Pretty important game uh, for both of these teams um, as Justin Fields and the Bears hope to rebound. San Francisco hopes to rebound. Um, and then 1 o'clock CBS, Cleveland and Pittsburgh. Unclear about Baker Mayfield's availability for this game. Um, Cleveland 4-3, and three, Pittsburgh 3-3. Three and three is going to be a pretty important game for both of these teams as they um, you know, are like about the halfway point of the season, but pretty important game. For both of these teams, I like Cleveland at home, but I do think that this is going to be kind of a toss-up game. It's going to be—I think it's going to be a low-scoring defensive type game. Uh, but I do expect Cleveland to win at home. Philadelphia plays Detroit. Detroit's still looking for their first win. Possibility they could get it this week against Philadelphia, who's two and five. Obviously, that offense for Philadelphia has been playing pretty well this season. You know, defense has kind of been an issue for them. Um, but I do expect that they continue Detroit's losing streak uh, with this game in Detroit. Detroit might win, possibility, uh, but I do think Philadelphia is winning. 
Tennessee and Indianapolis. The Colts have won two straight after dropping to one and four. And Tennessee, obviously, coming off an impressive win against the Chiefs last week, um, as they are five and two. Tennessee has kind of been a, a quiet team at, at five and two, but they've played really good football. Uh, but I do expect that the Colts are going to win this game. I think they pull the upset um, and win their third straight game. Carson Wentz has been playing really, really well for them as of late. Uh, Cincinnati and the Jets. Cincinnati coming off a very impressive win against the Ravens last week on the road. That was a really excellent game for Joe Burrow and company. Um, Cincinnati 5-2 and two and should improve to 6-2 and two as they take on the Jets, who are 1-5. and five. Then you have teams going the opposite direction. The Rams at 6-1 and one travel to Houston. They are 1-6, so Rams probably get the wind improved to 7-1. and one. Um, Not really much to talk about for that game. Um, obviously, we talked about the Patriots, Jacksonville, and Seattle play at 4 o'clock on CBS. be interesting to see how Trevor Lawrence does with the Jags as they got their first win last week. Um, and then obviously you have Seattle dealing with the loss of Russell Wilson. Uh, but I think Jacksonville gets the win on the road. I think that Trevor Lawrence plays a good game. Uh, Washington and Denver. Denver at 3-4. and four, Washington at 2-5. and five. Denver struggled offensively the last couple weeks. Uh, but I do expect them to beat Washington. And then Tampa Bay and New Orleans at 425 on Fox. That should be a good game. Uh, but I do expect Tampa Bay to win. I just don't. Really trust the Saints offensively. You know, Jameis Winston, I think, has been fine. You know, he's been okay. But I just think that that offense is not capable of scoring as many points as Tampa Bay's offense is capable of scoring. Um, so I like Tampa Bay on the road in this one. Uh, Dallas and Minnesota will play this Sunday night game. That will be pretty interesting. I do expect Dallas to win, but I think that this could be a high-scoring shootout type game. Um, so looking forward to that one. And then the Monday night game, Jacksonville or Excuse me. The Giants against the Chiefs. Giants two and five, and the Chiefs are uh, really struggling offensively. Not really able to string a lot of successful possessions together as they got uh, humbled against Tennessee last week. Uh, they will play the Giants. You know, Giants have been pretty up and down. Did get their second win last week. Uh, Saquon Barkley has been in and out of the lineup. Um, I do think that Daniel Jones will have a good game. You know, the Chiefs are one of those teams that I think can obviously put up a lot of points, but they can give up a lot of points. Um, I would think if the Giants can stay healthy enough and, you know, keep guys healthy in this game, they might be able to make the game interesting. But I think all signs points at Kansas City, you know, getting off of their, getting off of their, you know, kind of losing streak against a team that, you know, maybe is not very good so I think sorry about that I'm getting bothered by the phone in the background um, I think this is one of those games that Kansas City just is going to break out and score a lot of points um, it might be just exactly what the doctor ordered for the Chiefs facing the Giants at home Monday Night Football so um, I would say if Kansas City does not win this game it might be time to start hitting the panic button um, in Kansas City, but I don't expect that to happen. I do expect that Mahomes and that offense are going to kind of get back on track with this game. Um, so take a look. Quick look at the um, NFL standings. Take a look at the division standings. Uh, Cincinnati, obviously, first place in the AFC North after the win over Baltimore. Uh, Bills in first in the AFC East, although 
you know, Patriots are just a game and a half out of first place, so it's certainly, you know, not insurmountable, I wouldn't say, at this point, which is kind of interesting. Tennessee is at 5-2 and two in the AFC South. Um, the Raiders actually are in first place in the AFC West. I knew I was forgetting a team in the AFC West, so the Raiders actually are in first place. Chargers are in second. Uh, Dallas far and away in first place in the NFC East, as is Green Bay in the North, Tampa Bay ahead of the Saints by a game and a half. So this is why this game this weekend will be pretty important. Um, then the Cardinals still in first place, but the Rams can tie them uh, with a win on Sunday. So I think it probably makes sense to look at the conference standings now um, in terms of where teams stand just to kind of get a better idea. Um, so Cincinnati with the top seed in the AFC uh, followed by the Raiders and the Titans. Um, and then playoff spots four through seven. There's a seventh playoff spot this season if you don't, uh, if you didn't forget. Um, Buffalo in fourth place, followed by Baltimore, Los Angeles, and then Cleveland. So currently the Patriots just a game out of playoff position at the moment at three and four. But you have Kansas City, Denver, and Indianapolis um, all tied at three and four or having the same record at three and four. So the Patriots definitely um, pretty close to a lot of different teams. But, you know, this is why this game on Sunday is really, really huge if they could take away um, a win. In the NFC, Green Bay obviously passing Arizona with the win last night. So they are in first place, followed by Arizona. Uh, Tampa Bay in third, Dallas fourth, followed by the Rams, the Saints, and the Vikings who have a tiebreaker over uh, Arizona, or excuse me, Atlanta at the moment, and then Chicago and Carolina are right there as well. Um, so you have the Atlanta Falcons at 3-3. Three and three. You know, oddly enough, a team that are kind of right there in terms of the playoffs. And so big game for Minnesota against the um, Cowboys this weekend on Sunday. Um, Sunday night, and then the Giants and the Chiefs on Monday night. Patriots at 4 o'clock on Sunday, so definitely don't forget to tune in as we take a look at just some some little news and notes from around the NFL. The Jets uh, do not expect... The Jets do not expect Corey Davis to be available for their game on Sunday. Um... You know, the Dolphins are pretty steadfast in their belief that uh, Tua is their quarterback the rest of the season, you know, despite the uh, the rumors on Deshaun Watson. Uh, Davis Mills will start again for the Texans this weekend. Tyrod Taylor is still not ready. I think he came off IR the other day, but he will not be ready and won't be available for the Texans game against the Rams. So as we move on, we'll move on to talk talking about the NHL, talking about the Bruins, and I'm not going to lie, it's not been uh, super pretty for the Bruins over the last two games. Bruins went on a uh, little southern road trip, if you will, and dropped both games to the undefeated Panthers and undefeated Hurricanes. Um, so obviously, you know, losses of 4-1 and 3-0, not a lot of offense going on, so... Uh, you know, the Bruins seemingly did get a good amount of shots and chances last night. Um, I would say they probably played slightly better 
in the Florida game. Florida scored two goals in the third period. Um, but I think that, you know, a lot of breakdowns defensively as well. You know, it wasn't just the offense not being able to score. Um, but I think that, you know, when you go through the early parts of the season, you're going to go through issues. You know, you're going to go through issues defensively. You're going to go through issues offensively. You know, you're going to have problems with goaltending every once in a while. Um, Jeremy Swayman was definitely not the problem last night. Um, Carolina, both goals um, that they scored that were not empty net goals were kind of goals that bounced off of guys. Um, but seriously, I mean, anytime you get shut out, it's just kind of a humbling thing. And I know that Carolina has played really well. You know, they won their first six games of the season. But, you know, it's really no excuse for the Bruins to just kind of be all right. You know, I think that most nights when you play teams like Florida, like Carolina, you have to be at your best. Um, and I just think it's not really been super consistent for the Bruins every game. You know, you take a look at that San Jose game. I did think that they played well um, in that game, but then obviously you got a couple days off and you, you know, drop a couple stinkers. You know, it's, uh, it, it can be frustrating. And I know that the Bruins have had some injuries to their forward group. So, you know, guys are playing in positions that maybe they weren't expecting to. Um, but I think anytime you go on the road, you have to score goals. And clearly, the Bruins were not able to do much of that with both losses to Florida and Carolina. Bruins are back home tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. Bruins will play Florida again. So should be an interesting should be an interesting game. Should be a fun game to watch. Florida's off to um, a good start this season. Uh, the Bruins and the Panthers will also have a remembrance and uh, will honor the life of Jimmy Hayes on on Saturday. Um, so that will be that will be nice to see. Um, but I think for the Bruins, it's just kind of getting back to basics and you know start being able to you know put pucks in the net. You know it's been kind of an, an uneven start for most of the guys on the team. You know Mar- Marshan and Pasternak have been off to good starts, but you don't have, you know, Marchand's the only player that has scored more than two goals. Um, the Bruins have had good success from Jake, De- or have gotten success from Jake DeBrusque in the first couple of games. Um, he's a guy that definitely looks like he is reinvigorated after a tough last few seasons. You hope that he continues to keep it going. Um, has scored two goals this season, but just has looked a lot more engaged, and he's put 15 shots on goal, which is actually second on the team to just second on the team to Pasternak, um, who's only scored twice as well. Um, but I think obviously you have had some injuries. Craig Smith and Nick Foligno have not been available the last couple of games. Uh, Craig Smith an undisclosed injury, so he's not played the last couple. Um, and then Foligno has only played two games, so he's been I think was put on injured reserve. You've had Jack Stadnika getting minutes up on that second line, which, you know, I think is good to see, but I think at the same time, I think that it's, it's, it's not been perfect. You know, I think you're still seeing some development there. Um, Taylor Hall has been kind of quiet after um, a couple goals early in the season. Um, But again, it's early in the season. And I think that, you know, you're, you're, you're going to see some struggles um, but I just hope that the Bruins can kind of get back on track and, you know, put that two-game road trip just kind of out of their system, um, and they can rebound with a home game against Florida. Um, 
but you know it will it, it will turn up or it will it will turn up at some point or it will get better at some point i don't know what the heck i'm trying to say uh, but i think it will definitely get better at some point for the bruins um you know the team is way too talented to have you know issues like this kind of permeate for a long time um, bruins will have games against detroit and toronto uh, this week so that will be a couple couple interesting games bruins will welcome detroit who have actually played pretty well to open the season um, and then they will go to toronto next saturday um, but obviously bruins and panthers tomorrow will be a pretty good be a pretty good test for the Bruins, you know, playing against an undefeated uh, Florida team. I think that, you know, defensively, the Bruins have been fairly solid. You know, I think that there have been some breakdowns. You know, I think it's um, not to kind of put everything on Connor Clifton, um, but it is noticeable when he does kind of make mistakes in the offensive zone. He did get benched for the last game um, against Carolina. Jakob Zaboral slotted in and played. Um, and I'll just be honest, I think that the Bruins would be better better off if, if Zaboral's playing most of the games. Um, I just think that Clifton is, you know, very aggressive and plays a style that a lot of people love because, you know, he plays really aggressively, gets shots on goal, and, you know, is always quick to throw the body. But oftentimes he's out of position, and I think the Bruins are going to be better suited if Clifton's a guy that just comes in every couple of games just to play with some intensity. Um, and I think that, you know, this is something that um, Ian McLaren said on Twitter. Um, Ian posts the uh, Locked On Bruins podcast. You should check that out um, and listen to that. But one of the things that he was saying is that, you know, Clifton's a guy that might be better suited if he's coming in every couple of games and not, you know, someone that's playing every single night. Um, and I would definitely agree with that. You know, I think, um, and one of the other things he said is that the Bruins probably need some more right shot depth. And I would definitely agree with that because if you look at the roster, it's Carlo, it's McAvoy and it's Clifton and that's it. You know, the other extra guys are left or left shots, uh, with Zaboral and more, you know, certainly they have the ability to play the right side, but I think that it, you know, would do the Bruins better if they could find a little bit more at that right shot, um, position, you know, not that. Not that they're going to get any upgrades right away. You know, I don't think that that's fair to expect, but I do think like that would be something that they try to address at the trade deadline, you know, or if there's a trade that comes up at some point in the season, you know, if that's a position that I think the Bruins really need to address. Um, but obviously in the forward groups with Craig Smith out and with Nick Foligno out, you know, you've had some forward groups kind of be jumbled up a little bit. I mean, obviously the top line is going to remain the same, but you've had Stanika playing at second line center the last two games. Um, you've had a fourth line of Felina or of Nosek Lazar and Frederick Lazar's come back after his injury in one of the first games of the season. Um, and then you've had DeBrusk Halla and Carson Kuhlman. You know, Kuhlman, I think, is a good guy to put in when you have guys who are out hurt. But, you know, I think that the Bruins need to do a better job of creating offense and finishing. You know, I think the lack of finish was pretty apparent the last two nights. Bruins got a number of power play opportunities, um, you know, had a lot of shots on goal, but just were unable to, to finish it off. And so I think that tells you that at least 
the Bruins are putting shots on net and it's just a case of finishing. And I think, you know, that's one of the things that will turn around at some point. So um, not overly concerned, but I do think that, you know, there are just some things to watch in the early going of the season. So as you mentioned, the Bruins upcoming schedule uh, will play Florida tonight in Boston and then we'll host Detroit next Thursday. So Bruins have plenty of time off. Uh, between this Florida game and then the Detroit game next Thursday. And then next Saturday, the Bruins will travel to Toronto with their first meeting with the Maple Leafs. So uh, that is probably going to be it for the Bruins. Um, and now, you know, it's, it's, it's inevitable that we talk about this and um, talk about something that has been, you know, all in the minds of, of all hockey fans. Um, and, and if it's not in your mind, it really should be. Um, you know, the Blackhawks um, investigation into uh, assistant video coach Brad Aldrich and his sexual assault of a uh, Blackhawks player, uh, the findings of that investigation were, were released the other day. And uh, the Blackhawks essentially, you know, cleaned house and got rid of, you know, their all of those like head hockey ops people that were, you know, around when this incident happened and, you know, essentially covered it up. And I'll be honest, this is not easy for me to talk about. You know, this is it's just really sad and really tragic. And, you know, I think that it's something that everyone should feel upset about you know there's no possible way that you can look at this situation and feel anything else other than just angry and upset that you know this was handled or not handled the way that it should have been and you know at at no point is at, at no point is you know, sexual assault, you know, ignoring that is ever a reason for, or that, you know, winning and trying to, trying to win games is more important than something like this, because it never is. You know, something like this is very serious and needs to be taken seriously. And it's just tragic that, you know, for some for some people winning games and trying to win a championship is more important than the health and safety of one of your own players and it's just the whole situation is mind-boggling you know and it's just it's it's frustrating that you know seemingly there are stories about this in hockey all the time and for some reason, this sport and this league just can't get out of its own way that it's, it really, there really is nothing to say other than it's just, you know, it's horrifying. And, you know, I would say it's shocking, but it's not really, you know, if you think about the the culture of this game and, you know, Taylor Hall kind of said it best the other night, said it best last night that it's kind of an old boys club and it's always been that way. And it's always been, you know, anything that is, you know, 
like anything is labeled as as character issues you know it's i don't and i don't know i might even just not even be saying what i mean exactly but it's just it's just sad and it's disappointing and i do want to say though um that kyle beach is incredibly strong and incredibly brave for you know coming forward and um coming forward and or coming forward as the as the john doe named in the in the in the report i just want to say that he is so brave and so strong and i just i i can't imagine being in a situation that he was in and um i think that everyone as a hockey fan owes him or you know owes him, you know, a thank you for, you know, you know, it's, it's hard because it's like, you know, he can be someone that can now be kind of a, I don't want to say spokesperson, but like that can make people aware of stuff like this that happens and, you know, can be a positive, um, you know, it's just, it's just unfortunate that the league and, that organization completely failed him, you know, and it just is sad and it, and it's tragic and it's just, I, I have a hard time, you know, trusting the league. I have a hard time trusting that organization. You know, it's just, it's hard. It's hard for me as a person that, you know, loves hockey and loves the game and loves the sport that, you know, preaches all for the team and anything, do anything for the team and do anything for each other. And that team, you know, did the opposite. That team and that organization failed Kyle as a player. And everything that this game is supposed to be positive about just completely turned the other way. You know, you have people in that organization you have players in that organization that knew about this and chose not to do anything and you know that's just what really blows my mind and you know something that john tortorella alluded to on uh the point which is a a show on espn that i mean how, how in god's name does anyone not stand up and say this is wrong and it just is it's just horrifying that this, you know, that this was allowed to, this was allowed to happen, that this not only happened, but was, you know, swept under the rug. And it's just, it's disappointing, you know, and it's just, it, you know, blows my mind that the NHL let Joel Quinville coach in a game on Wednesday night. And, you know, did end up you know resigning last night but it's like why did it take that long and why kevin shovel day off the general manager for the for the winnipeg jets does not face any any punishment is is insane and it's just you i mean you literally have had people that have straight up lied about this that said that they like didn't know about this i mean quenville literally 
like openly said that he didn't know or didn't know anything and it's just like no you did and shovel day off knew about it too and it's just like it's it's just this league just can't get out of its own way and it's just handling this so so poorly and you know obviously you have a players association and an organization that failed a player um and it's just there's really there's really not much else to say other than it's just tragic and it's just sad that this was allowed to happen and this happened in a game and a sport that is supposed to be you know all for the team and everyone kind of buying in together and supposed to players are supposed to have each other's backs organizations are supposed to have their players backs and just for this to happen is just the worst thing you can possibly imagine and the the I'm just blown away at the strength and the bravery of Kyle Beach who has been able to I don't know I I don't know how he has been able to go through life like this and my my heart goes out to him that you know hopefully he can find peace in his life and you know I would say move on but I just don't think that that's possible um but it's just it's 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 just hard to it was a hard day and it's been a hard last few days for a lot of you know NHL fans like me who are starting to you know question things that I've never questioned before that you know is this is this game really really worth it and it's just clearly there is things there's so many things that need to change in the culture of this game that winning does not solve everything. You know, the pursuit of winning should not be, you know, the health and safety of your own players should be the number one thing. And winning should not be something that should not be something that trumps it. Not ever. Not in any sport. It's not worth it. Um, and so it's just, you know, and I don't know. Maybe I didn't say a lot of the right things. Maybe I was rambling on, but it's just, it's this is just really, really challenging, really hard to deal with that, you know, this, 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 this behavior was allowed to happen. Um, so that's really, that that's really all I have on this. Um, situation. Um, obviously, Quinville has resigned as coach of the Panthers. Um, Andrew Burnett will will take over, I believe, behind the behind the bench there. Um, and just take a look at some uh, notes from around the league. Uh, Bruins, obviously, with the uh, loss last night to Carolina. Carolina remains um, undefeated. Um, the Avalanche got a win against the Blues last night. Blues lose their first game. Um, the Sabres have been off to a really good start this season. They won their fifth game of the season, beating the Ducks in OT, so they are 5-1. and one. Um, The Seattle Kraken have uh, gotten back on track. They've won their last two games, have improved to 3-4-1 and one after starting the season 1-4-1. and one. Gotten a couple of, of home wins. Um, and I do have to say, you know, seeing the the crowd in Seattle has been definitely a, a welcome, a welcome sight this season. You know, it's been really awesome to see that the 
the team has been embraced by the city and by the crowd. Um, just really looks like a fun place to go watch a game. So um, good for Seattle getting off to a somewhat of a rocky start, but they've seemed to right the ship a little bit. Um, some good games from uh, Brandon Tanev recently. He's been scoring at a pretty pretty ridiculous radius, six goals in their first eight games. Um, but it just seems like they're starting to find a, a groove as a team, trying to, fi- trying to find that kind of cohesion. Um, I do expect that they're going to be a team that challenges for a playoff spot this season. That uh, Pacific Division is pretty weak. You know, you got a couple of, you got a number of those Carolina or California teams, excuse me, that are, um, you know, struggling to find an identity. Still, kind of young teams on the rise. So um, it looks like Seattle might be able to to squeeze into a playoff spot. Um, they also have Vancouver in there as well, who's going to be an interesting rival for them. Um, so I think. That probably does it for talking about the um, the NHL. Uh, we'll move on and talk about the Celtics. Um, and it's not necessarily been the most smooth start for the Celtics either. Um, Bruins and Celtics both kind of getting off to, to rocky starts so far. Um, I do have to say that Celtics' first game was kind of a game that, you know, not a, I wouldn't say a throwaway game, but I just think, double OT game, you know, a game in which the Celtics did, you know, come back and tie it at the end of regulation, um, did show a lot of resolve in that game. But then unfortunately they come back with, uh, one of the, one of the worst games I've seen them play in a very long time, uh, losing in their home opener by 32 points to the Raptors. Um, the Celtics did thankfully get back on track with a couple of road wins in Houston and in Charlotte Celtics had an overtime win in Charlotte, but then, you know, followed up with a disappointing loss to the Wizards um, on Wednesday night. And that's kind of where we are. The Celtics have had a couple of pretty disappointing games in terms of effort. Um, and I think that it's, it's, it's a little concerning, um, but it is five games in. And I think that, you know, there's a lot of new things that the Celtics are adjusting to. You know, you've got a new coach, you've got a brand new coaching staff, you know, you have a lot of guys in that coaching staff that you know, are new to this team and this organization. You know, I think Joe Mazzula, who's an assistant coach for the Celtics, is the only assistant coach that uh, was held over or was a holdover from last season. So I think that there's there's a lot of adjustments. Obviously, there are new players. There's new roles for different guys. Um, and I think that Ime Odoka is working with players to just kind of figure out what combinations work, what combinations don't work, you know, who is playing well with minutes, you know, I think it's just a lot that you have to, that you have to consider through their tough starts. But, you know, I will be honest, you know, slow starts and lack of focus is, is concerning no matter what's going on with the team, you know, no matter if, if it's a first year head coach, no matter if it's a coach that's been there for 10 years, you know, I think that anytime you're seeing just kind of lackadaisical defense and, you know, a lot of turnovers and things like that, you know, it's it's a little concerning that there are certain guys on this team that have spent more time, you know, complaining to the officials than playing the game. And I think that it's unfortunate that, you know, that's kind of crept into guys' minds that, okay, we're going to start complaining to officials and we're going to stop playing the game. And it's just, 
really kind of frustrating that that's what seems to be going on. Um, and not to say that, you know, other teams and other players don't complain to the officials. You know, everyone does. Um, but I just think at a certain point, this is not what the Celtics need want to be known for, to be a team that's going to be complaining to the officials. And that's one of the things Coach Udoka said a couple of weeks ago, that that's not what we're going to be known for. So, you know, that needs to change uh, clearly. Um, I do think, though, it's been a little interesting to see the Celtics have been running a defense with a lot of switching. And I think it, it, it can be a good thing, but can also be a bad thing. You know, you've seen a lot of moments where Robert Williams, in particular, is switched on to a player at the perimeter, you know, and he's trying to block a three-pointer, which it's it's ridiculous because he's able to block some of those shots and he's able to challenge those shots. But then the problem is he's not down, you know, he, he's not down in the paint getting rebounds. And the Celtics have gotten killed on the offensive glass in a couple of games. Uh, Montrezl Harrell was an, a monster for Washington in their last game. And, you know, that's not the whole problem. You know, that's not like, oh, that's the whole reason why they're struggling is Rob Williams is switching out. But I do notice that there's a lot of switching and the Celtics have not played good defense really in any game this season. You know, I don't really think it's been... I don't think that there's one defensive game that's been noticeable that's been good. You know, I think that a lot of games, you know, look at the points that they've let up, 138, 115, 129, 116. You know, those are four games right there. You know, I think that they need to improve defensively, got to get off to better starts, and I think just need to have better focus and have better, you know, just, you know, play, play with pride and... You know, I do have to say, and I don't want to sound any alarms because it's just five games in, um, but I think anytime you're having conversations about focus and effort and things like that, that's scary. Uh, just to me, that's scary that five games into the season, we're already having these conversations and you have a new head coach that I think supposedly was going to kind of get guys to be more ready when when game time comes and they're running into some of the same problems and it's just it's very concerning because you know if if there's still an issue with with effort and playing hard every night that tells me that it's not a coach thing you know and that's what I was kind of you know wary of telling people last season when a lot of people wanted to lay a lot of blame on Brad Stevens and say oh you know he sucks they need a new head coach, and he's the reason why they're struggling. Well, they're running into some of the same problems now, and so it's just like that tells me that it's a player's problem, and that scares me um, because they think that that's not an issue that you want to take lightly. That's not an issue that you want to, you know, and I just, I don't know. Maybe it's just the early start of the season, and it just is, is, is different things are, are difficult to adjust to. Um, that's what I'm going to hope it is, because um, if it's not, it's very concerning. But I think, again, five games in, you know, you hope the Celtics kind of find their groove, find an identity um, as a team that's going to pass the ball and share the ball and play good team defense. Um, you would just kind of hope that they, they get it together. Uh, we'll take a look at their schedule in a moment, but I do just want to say that some of the Celtics' young players, I think, do need to get more minutes. Peyton Pritchard. Uh, the first did not play of his career, I think, last night or in the last game. Um, 
and Aaron Neesmith has kind of been not used a whole lot in the, in the beginning of the season. Romeo Langford has been hurt, um, has had a calf issue, but it's just kind of puzzling to me that um, Pritchard and Neesmith both have kind of not really gotten a lot of minutes. You know, I think Dennis Schroeder is getting a lot of minutes and a lot of looks from, from Coach Udoka, which I think makes sense because Schroeder is, you know, a veteran player and the Celtics do expect big things from him. But I think at the same time, you have to kind of find a balance because some of these young players that you have do need minutes and do need to continue to develop as players. And the only way that they're going to develop as players is if they get minutes. And, you know, if you're not given many or really any minutes to these guys, it's going to, it's going to stunt their, their development, which is not good and isn't something that I think the Celtics want, you know, and it's not everyone, you know, I think that Grant Williams has earned minutes and he's played very well with the minutes that he's been given. You know, he's knocked down a lot of key threes in the beginning of the season. And obviously Robert Williams has been huge. You know, he's been thrust into the starting role and has played excellent basketball. Um, I wrote an article actually about him yesterday, so you can go check that out if you'd like. But I think you want all your young guys to be able to make an impact and, you know, make a difference. And I think that Maybe it's just the coaching staff testing out different lineups and seeing what will work and what won't work. But I think that you want to be able to give your young guys minutes. And I think that it's something that I would like to see change because I think the Celtics playing with maybe some lack of focus and lack of energy, you know, wouldn't you want to bring in some young guys that might have some energy and play hard? You know, Aaron Neesmith, there's to me there's really never been a question of his of his you know effort and his focus you know he's a guy that plays hard um almost every time he's in there so will be interesting to see what happens with that but i do think that both williams grant and robert are responding very well to the minutes that they're playing which is good there but i just think would like to see neesmith in the game for some more minutes and get pritchard uh, some more minutes. So we'll take a look at the Celtics schedule right now. Uh, the Celtics will be on the road for four of their next five. Another road game in Washington on Saturday afternoon at five. Uh, then the Celtics will be back home to play the Bulls on Monday night. And then they will travel to Orlando and Miami for a back-to-back next Wednesday and next Thursday. And then they will play in Dallas next Saturday against the Mavericks. So a couple of Games coming up on the road for the Celtics, so should be interesting to see um, how they do in some of those road games. A couple games against teams that are that are pretty good. I think you got Dallas, you got Miami, and then you got a home game against Chicago that should be pretty interesting. The Bulls are a pretty new look team at the moment. So taking a look at some other thoughts from. Around the NBA, I thought this was kind of interesting that uh, uh, Trey Young has made some comments about uh, missed calls, you know, based on the new rules, which I don't know, it's kind of ironic to me because I feel like some of the new rules were put in place because of him, um, because of him and some other guys, you know, going up for jump shots and kind of leaning into guys. And I'm kind of glad the NBA has put a stop to that because it's, you know, unnatural movements that you know are we're getting called fouls and it's just like it's not the game you know you have to play the game and i just think like at a certain point 
something needed to change there. Um, James Harden slowly coming back to form, still limited a little bit. The, the Nets have kind of been uneven to start their season, as have uh, the Lakers as well. Um, Nikola Jokic went out with a knee injury a couple nights ago, but it is revealed that he has no structural damage, so that at least is good for the Nuggets. Um, some games tonight, a couple games on ESPN, uh, Dallas and Denver. Just mentioned Denver, and then you have the uh, Hornets at 4-1 and one against the Heat. The Hornets have been a pretty exciting team to watch this season. Celtics and Hornets obviously played a pretty entertaining overtime game earlier this week. Jalen Brown with a absolute hammer that he threw down on Miles Bridges. That was uh, that's one of the nastiest dunks I've seen in the NBA in a very long time. Um, and those are both guys that are just above the rim, guys that like want to go up and throw down with bad intention. So that was pretty cool. That was cool to see that. Um, I would hope that one of those guys is in the dunk contest this season, uh, either Bridges or or Jalen Brown. I think that would be pretty cool. Um, so I think we'll move on, talk a little bit about baseball. Uh, the World Series is in full swing. Game three in Atlanta is tonight. The Astros and the Braves split the first two games. Uh, Braves winning game one, six to two, and then the Astros winning seven to two in game two. So game three is tonight. Luis Garcia will go for the Astros and the Braves will throw Ian Anderson. So... It's been a pretty exciting World Series so far. You know, I think you have two teams that are both very motivated. You know, I think that Houston, whenever they're in the playoffs, they're always a very motivated team. Um, Then you have the Braves, you know, in the World Series for the first time in over 20 years. So they're obviously very, very motivated. You got two teams that, um, you know, the Astros are going to try to beat you with offense. The Braves are a team that have gotten a lot of timely hitting in the playoffs, but they've been very strong. Um, as a pitching team, you know, starting pitching and their bullpen. So uh, very curious to see how the series uh, shifts with these three games in Atlanta. The DH is obviously not in National League parks. I think that that might change, though, next season. Um, So it'll be interesting to see how the Astros um, handle that with Jordan Alvarez has been the DH uh, for most of their games. So be curious to see what they do uh, with that position. Um, as Alvarez obviously was unbelievable in that Red Sox series, uh, took home the uh, American League Championship Series most valuable player. Um, but you have a Braves team that I think really believes in their way of playing. Freddie Freeman obviously has been unbelievable this season. Um, Ozzy Albies has been very good. You know, th- th- it's an interesting group um, because the Braves, you know, lost Acuna Jr early on in the season to a leg injury and they kind of stumbled for most of the season, but got hot at the right time, you know, actually got into the playoffs as an 88 win team, which, you know, fewer wins than even the Red Sox did um, who were playing in the wild card game. But I do think that it's, it's an exciting series. I think two good teams, uh, three straight in Atlanta. So world series, still the two, three, two series. Or game three will start at 8.09 tonight. So uh, hard to kind of pick a team um, to win because I really think that both of these teams have, 
you know, an equal chance to win. I do know that obviously Atlanta only won 88 games, but I do think that they're definitely a good match for the Astros. So really looking forward to seeing how this series changes as it goes to Atlanta. Uh, Neither game has been particularly close. I think both of the games, the teams that have won have gotten off to good starts and have been able to perform really well throughout the game. Uh, The Braves obviously getting off to that quick start in game one with Jorge Soler's home run, just three pitches into the game. Um, But then the Astros come back with uh, plenty of runs and big hits in game two. So be curious to see what happens in game three. Ian Anderson will pitch for the Braves, and then Luis Garcia will go for the Astros. So a couple of notes from around Major League Baseball. I believe that Hunter Renfro for the Red Sox was nominated for uh, a Gold Glove Award, so be curious to see what happens there. Um, the Padres are hiring Bob Melvin as their new manager. Padres certainly um, underachieved for a good portion of this season. Um, a lot of people were expecting them to be a very good team that made the playoffs, but obviously they did not perform very well. Um, it is worth noting that uh, World Series Game 2 viewership uh, was up 13% from a record low Game 2 last year, so that was kind of interesting. So I think um, hopefully you see the ratings continue to go up for this series. I mean, I think it's worth you know checking out these games because both of these teams are very, very good. Um, and obviously with the World Series back in Atlanta for the first time in over 20 years, you know, makes it makes it pretty exciting. So Game 3 again tonight. Uh, Red Sox do have a couple of interesting decisions this offseason. Just figure I kind of talk about a couple key guys. Um, Kyle Schwarber, Eduardo Rodriguez, and Hunter Renfro. So uh, Schwarber obviously coming over from Washington at the trade deadline. You know, didn't get into a game for a couple weeks after being traded because of his hamstring injury. But um, I would say that, you know, you got some really good production out of him, um, not only in the regular season, but in the playoffs too. You know, he was a big reason why you won that wild card game against the Yankees and then did very well in that Astros series, um, or excuse me, in the uh, Rays series. So for Schwarber, appeared in 41 games after the trade, um, had... Seven home runs, 18 RBIs, and hit 291. So he was a big part of the reason why the Red Sox were able to even get into the playoffs, uh, thanks to his hot bat at the end of the season. Um, and then obviously had a pretty solid postseason. But, you know, really the drawback with Schwarber is the defense. And I think that, you know, the Red Sox infield defense did kind of have a lot of issues this season. Um, you know, defensively, I think that they were one of the worst teams in the American League. So I think that if the Red Sox do bring Schwarber back, it really shouldn't be at first base. Um, So it'll be interesting to see because I do think that some of the decisions, some of the other decisions that they make or don't make um, in the offseason is going to have an impact on Schwarber. Um, J.D. Martinez does have an opt-out in his contract, um, and obviously Hunter Renfro is a free agent, as we'll talk about in a minute. Um, so I think that that could have some bearing on whether Schwarber comes back, um, because clearly if J.D. Martinez doesn't come back, the Red Sox could sign Schwarber with the idea that he just DHs, which I think would be 
in the best interest of everyone, you know, just to avoid him even playing the field. Um, but I do think the Red Sox would want Shady Martinez back, so maybe that's not possible. But I think Schwarber as a player, obviously an outstanding offensive talent, you know, really seemed to find his groove this season when he was healthy and on the field for the for the Nationals and the Red Sox. Um, but obviously there's drawbacks defensively, you know, and I think that he also will probably get a lot of looks in free agency. I think a lot of other teams, especially in the American League, you know, would really like to have him as their DH. So there will certainly be some competition for him. Um, but as I was talking to a friend of the pod, uh, Eric Bellier, who's been on the show a couple times, um, I talked to him not too long ago, and he said that there could be a possibility that a player like Schwarber, you know, likes being in Boston, likes being with the Red Sox, and could take, you know, not necessarily a discount, but maybe lesser money than he would take elsewhere, you know, if a team came calling to give him a big-time contract. If I'm the Red Sox, I'm not giving him a long-term contract. You know, I think that would be a, that would be a mistake. Um, you know, certainly he's an outstanding player, but clearly does have a bit of an injury history, and he's kind of had that his whole career. So um, I think that I wouldn't give him anything, you know, ludicrous, but I do think if they were able to bring him back, you know, it makes their offense very, very dangerous. So I think that there are definitely pros and cons to him. Um, Hunter Renfro, I think, is interesting because didn't make a whole lot of money for the Red Sox this season, performed really, really well, you know, hit 30 home runs. Um, and I do think that there could be some good interest for him on the free agent market um, for a guy making $3 million and hit 30 home runs. You know, I think he's a guy that I think there's equal possibility that he could come back or sign somewhere else, you know, sign a, a deal somewhere else or sign a small deal to return to the Red Sox. You know, obviously he had a tough postseason, and I think that that's fair to, to suggest, but obviously he was an outstanding defensive player. You know, if he's a finalist for a gold glove, um, he was outstanding, had a lot of outfield assists, was a really good really good hitter at times that really came up with big hits in the regular season. You know, it was a big reason, I think, why they were able to get into the playoffs. Didn't necessarily hit well in the postseason, but I think he'd be worth bringing back, but I also could understand the Red Sox letting him go. You know, he's another guy, you know, if he walks, the Red Sox could, you know, move Schwarber back to the outfield and possibly move him back to left field um, and play someone like Verdugo or Hernandez in right field. You know, if that's the if that's the direction that they decide to go. So I think that that's going to be interesting to see kind of some moves that might affect the others. You know, Martinez, Renfro, and Schwarber, very curious to see what the decisions are on those three guys. Um, and then Eduardo Rodriguez is the other kind of big name that I thought made sense to talk about. So he obviously, you know, coming off missing the entire season last year, you know, had struggles at time, but seemed to kind of figure things out down the stretch in the regular season. So um, he's an interesting, interesting case because I do think he could get a good amount of interest on the free agent market um, and could decide to test the market. And, you know, I just think in my experience, if a player chooses to do that, it probably means that they don't come back, you know, unless there's a chance that they don't get the money that they're thinking that they can get. Um, I would like to see Erod return. You know, he's been a a big performer for this Red Sox team for quite a long time. You know, he's been with the, the organization for a while. So I think 
I would like to see him come back, but I think, you know, like Schwarber, if there's a big, big deal that comes along that is just impossible for the player to turn down, you know, I think let them go. You know, if, if Rodriguez gets a big kind of crazy contract from, let's say, a bad team, I wouldn't think that the Red Sox would try to bring him back, you know, if a team is going to give him a lot of money in a lot of years. Um, but very curious to see what the Red Sox plan is for him. But like for all three, all three of these guys, I'd like to see them return. You know, I think I would, but I think not at, not at a price that's going to be a problem. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what goes on with, with these three guys. Um, and then obviously there'll be other guys that will, I think, take a look at as we get further into the off season. Um, so I think that probably does it for for baseball. We'll move on talking about the revolution, the uh, first in the league doing a revolution, and the uh, record-breaking team that has set the record for uh, most points in an MLS season. Revolution setting the pace with their one nothing win over Colorado on Wednesday night. Revolution breaking LAFC's record from a couple years ago. Of points in a season, so the Revolution seventy three points, um, twenty two seven and four, only four losses this season has been pretty amazing to see. So uh, credit to the Revolution, credit to the organization. You know, it's pretty crazy to believe where they were. You know, over two years ago in twenty nineteen, bottom of the league, and you know, not really going anywhere. Now they've put together a season for the ages. You know, twenty two wins, um, seventy three points plus 25 goal differential, which is actually not as big as I thought. You know, Nashville is the second place team in the Eastern Conference, and they're at a plus 22. So I don't think the goal differential is that, you know, staggering, but it is staggering because the Revolution have won a lot of close, uh, of low scoring or close games. You know, one goal games, a lot of their wins have been by one goal um, this season, which, you know, I think means that they're playing well in games that are close, but it's a little concerning going into the playoffs, just that, you know, all these games are really tough and kind of intense, but the Revolution have shown that they're able to perform in these games. So great to see Tejan Buchanan scoring the winning goal for the Revolution. Um, he will move on to play in Belgium once the season is over, but obviously the Revolution have eyes on uh, a lot bigger things than just setting the points record, winning the, the Supporters' Shield, and you know, getting that number one seed in the playoffs, you know, they're focused on winning a championship. And I think, you know, for the first time in a very long time, they are really in position to win one. And they are kind of the team that's expected to win. So I think that obviously with that comes a lot of pressure, but I think the revolution are, are up to it, you know, have a lot of outstanding players. You know, Buchanan is one of the guys he's been unbelievable this season. Um, you've had Buxa and Gustavo Bo, who've been goal-scoring machines this season. And then obviously Carlos Heel, who's going to be a finalist and probably the winner of most valuable player in the league. He had 13 assists this season. Buxa with 16 goals, Bo with 15, and then Buchanan with 8. Um, and then obviously you've got Matt Turner, a guy who's been unbelievable. You know, there's a reason why he's the goalie for... Uh, Team USA is he's been excellent this season for the Revolution. Really, 
one of the biggest reasons why they've been able to put together such a successful year um, is that they've had Turner back there playing at his best, at playing at his best we've seen him play in his entire career. Um, the Revolution do have one more regular season game. They will close the season with the match in Miami at 3.30 next Sunday. So one more game to kind of, you know, be a, a test run, I guess, before the playoffs. Uh, be curious to see if there are some backups that play in this game. Um, but the Revolution, you know, as we said, first place in the Eastern Conference will keep you updated on how the playoffs shake out and, you know, who the Revolution may be facing in the playoffs. Uh, Philadelphia certainly will be a team that they'll probably face. Nashville, too. New York City FC and Orlando may be some teams that they do face off against this season. So it's been a great year for the Revolution. Hopefully they keep that going um, into the playoffs with a with a championship run. Um, so I think to close out our, our pod this week, we'll talk a little bit about some college football. It's been a very interesting week, and actually next week we will get the uh, first edition of the college football playoff top 25. So we'll get to see what the ranking committee thinks of certain teams. Obviously, in the AP poll, you have Georgia and Cincinnati, the 1-2, Alabama in third, Oklahoma in fourth, followed by Ohio State, Michigan, and Oregon, 5-6-7, and then Michigan State, Iowa, and Ole Miss round out the top 10. You have a couple teams in here, Kentucky at 12th. They've had a good start to the season. Oklahoma State dropped back after losing their first game of the season. They dropped back from 8-15. to uh, Baylor is up to 16, Pittsburgh up to 17. Uh, Pittsburgh with a win over Clemson last week. Uh, Penn State has fallen all the way down to 20 after their second straight loss. So they've dropped 13 spots. So taking a look at some games this weekend, you got a couple of really good games. Um, in my opinion, Michigan, Michigan State, the big one uh, tomorrow at noon on Fox. That will be a big-time game, both teams in the top 10. Big 10 has definitely had a rich resurgence season. This season, I would say uh, both teams in the top 10 would be good matchup on Saturday. Texas and Baylor will go at it. Baylor at 16th. Texas is unranked, but I think you could see a lot of points in this one. And then later in the day, top-ranked Georgia faces off against Florida in Jacksonville. Florida-Georgia, always a good matchup. Be curious to see how Georgia does in this game. I mean, they've been wiping wiping people you know, off the floor, have been, you know, blowing people away. I don't know why, I don't know why I was, what I was trying to say, but I think there'll be an interesting test for Georgia to play Florida in a neutral site game. Um, and then later you have 10th ranked Mississippi against 18th ranked Auburn. That will be a pretty good game. Could be a tough one for Ole Miss. And then, and then a big one later, a little later at 7:30, 5th ranked Ohio State against 20th ranked Penn State. So a couple of big Big Ten matchups in this in this week's uh, slate of games. So definitely tune into some of those games on the ESPN family of networks. And then you got the Michigan uh, Michigan State game on Fox. Um, so really looking forward to this weekend with college football. Got a couple of kind of important games for the Celtics and the Bruins. And then you got uh, the Patriots on Sunday. On Halloween, so everyone enjoy the the candy and all that, um, you know. Or if if you dress up, if you still do that, I mean, I think I'm too old for that. Uh, but definitely, 
Um, everyone enjoy the weekend and uh, try to enjoy some fall weather before it starts getting even more cold. I think we had some frost outside this morning. So yeah, definitely it's starting to, weather's starting to change, which is, which is not great. I'm not super excited about it, but hey, it is what it is. So um, everyone enjoy your weekend and we will talk to you next week. As always, you can follow the uh, Facebook and Twitter page and listen to us on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. All right, everyone, have a good one.